Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. The Lord is good indeed. His truth endures forever. And that calls into contrast our own uh, lack of endurance, uh, our own lack of goodness. Ephesians 4.29 is our call to confession, uh, to confess our sins. Hear God's word. Let him who's, oops, that's verse 28, verse 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, clamor, anger, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Thus far the reading of God's word. Well, 2020 keeps bringing us more and more unique news. Uh, a painful presidential debate this past Tuesday. And then the president contracts COVID himself. Wow. Uh, I found the aftermath of the debate to be very interesting. Uh, everyone was just disgusted with the president's interruptions, with Biden calling him a clown and a fool and more. Uh, and their first appearances after the debate, it looked to me like they were obviously trying to talk and be nicer. Uh, they had gotten the point. But it's important to observe. We, we like to commit rash talk ourselves on social media or watch it on cable shows. But it's a bit far for presidents and candidates to commit corrupting talk and clamor, uh, exactly what uh, scripture here uh, talks about. It turns out that governors who are unrestrained in their speech to fix the roads uh, are also unrestrained in how they govern generally. There's a connection there, I believe. People generally don't want that in the end. But take this out of the political for a minute. The point isn't that it grieves the American people. Uh, verse 30 of our text here, the point is that the, this grieves the Spirit of God. He is the judge. Uh, God is showing us many examples in 2020, uh, a lot of negative ones especially, but positive ones too. God's showing us a lot of examples of how to live faithfully before him. So let's practice kindness and restraint in our speech. Let's confess our sins before God. I encourage you to kneel if you're able, and we have a prayer of confession to pray in the bulletin altogether this week. John 4, 14 for our sermon text. Let's pray before we begin reading. We do confess this, Heavenly Father, uh, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit. You are one God, three persons, uh, working together in concert to provide all things for your creation and to redeem your people. You've given us this word uh, by which uh, we can glorify you, uh, learning of you as you reveal yourself, acting upon it uh, to go forth and to work for you, uh, to trust in you, to take joy in you. 
Help us to do so even now as we worship you by hearing your word read and preached. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. John chapter 14, we'll start at verse 12. Jesus in the middle of his upper room discourse here. Hear God's infallible word. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. A little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. At that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. And God's people said, Amen. I had occasion this past week to uh, listen once again to part of uh, Winston Churchill's favorite uh, famous speech. Uh, we shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight. We shall fight. Uh, and I looked that up and scanned a little bit of the speech in the background. Churchill uh, spoke that in Parliament after the, the, um, the Battle of Dunkirk, where Germany basically took over the entire continent all the way to the edge of the sea, and England had to uh, escape, and Germany had conquered the entire continent at that point. And it was a very low point in uh, England's morale. And I scanned the speech. It's a long, long speech that Churchill gives to Parliament. I had never noticed, realized before how long it is. Pages and pages of all the things that had happened. You know, Germany's done this and Belgium's, the whole status of everything up until that point. And then there's just two short paragraphs at the end of the speech, the famous part where Churchill then turns from what has happened uh, to say, here's what we're going to do. And I've said this before, this is what leaders do. Leaders talk about the future and say, here's what we're going to do, everybody. <laughs> That's basically what Churchill does with some high-flown rhetoric. Here's a couple lines of it. It's wonderful. Even though large tracts of Europe and many old and famous states have fallen or may fall into the grip of the Gestapo and all the odious apparatus of Nazi rule, we shall not flag nor fail. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. And it goes on further. But you notice the, with the rhetoric there, right? In the rhetoric, you always repeat a certain thing. And what he repeats over and over is, we shall. We shall fight. We shall do this. We shall not do that. Right? He's speaking of the future and what's going to happen, and what we're going to do. It may seem like an odd uh, parallel, an odd metaphor, but I think Jesus is doing the exact same thing here in the upper room, believe it or not. Jesus here speaks of the future. He speaks of what's going to happen, of what the disciples are going to do, 
of what's going to happen to them. It's the same kind of context. Jesus speaks to us of our future, and he speaks with comforting promises. There it's a little bit different from Churchill, right? Churchill said, all I've got to offer you is blood, toil, tears, and sweat, right? Jesus comes to his disciples. He says, the helper, the comforter is going to come to you. So there's differences, of course, obviously. But notice the same kind of thing. Jesus is talking about our future, but what we'll do. And you see the three points in the outline there. Faith leading to works and prayer. And then the spirit of truth will come. And then I will come, Jesus says. That's the three sections here in this short text. So let's look at those one at a time here. So first, faith leads to works and prayer. We started in verse 12. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me. That's where it all starts. That's what John, the Gospel of John has been all about, right? These, things, these are written that you may believe he says at the very end of the gospel. The whole point is that we believe in Jesus. But, but the disciples are there. They've been doing that for three years. And now Jesus is about to leave. What now? What, what, what happened? What do we do with that faith? Right? And Jesus says, uh, the works that I do, you also will do. And you're going to do greater things than these. So he tells us, you shall fight. You shall work. You shall heal. You shall do all kinds of works, and you shall pray, right? Verse 13 and 14, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do. So when Jesus says greater works than these, that's the first question people have here. It doesn't necessarily mean more extraordinary works, more awesome works. That's not the point. It's kind of hard to imagine how you could do a greater work than raise someone from the dead, like Lazarus, right? The point isn't that the disciples were going to do something more sensational, greater works. The point was they were going to do this on a more wide scale than Jesus did, which is very true. There's not recorded anywhere in the Gospels where 3,000 people were converted in one day by Jesus. But by the Spirit, the apostles did that on the day of Pentecost. And that was just the beginning, right? The church has spread the Gospel throughout the world. Greater works, far wider scale work than Jesus did in his earthly ministry. The church truly has done greater works than all that they saw Jesus do in that sense. And he does this because I go, end of verse 12. Uh, greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Jesus can increase his power and influence without physically being here. And we wonder how that can be. He answers that in the next couple of verses. But it's time now for the next phase of the plan, right? Christ is going to ascend to the Father, and the Spirit's going to come. So Jesus, again, speaking about the future, as you have that kind of turn to the next phase. Again, kind of like, just like Churchill did, as Germany takes over all of the continent. Then Churchill says, all right, we've got a turning point here. Here's what we're going to do. That's what Jesus is saying to his disciples here. The prayer point in verse 13 and 14. Whatever you ask in my name, uh, I will do for you. Uh, and this is, here's the next question people have, right? So anytime I pray for anything, Jesus is going to give it to me? Uh, well, we're trained to see Jesus as a get out of hell free card, right? And we don't think much past that often. Uh, Jesus is looking past the cross to the work that we have to do on the other side. 
You know, think of, think of Jesus paying your bail or, or getting you out of jail, justifying you before the law, freeing you from prison, from the curse of the law, right? And you walk out into the wide world, out of that prison, and Jesus is there, and he turns to you. Now what? What does he say? And too often we think that he just kind of hands you a blank check and says, all right, go do what you want. You're under grace, not under the law. Ask me anything and I'll do it. Go have fun. That's not really what Jesus is saying, right? Whenever the apostles, think of it this way, in the book of Acts, whenever the apostles were imprisoned in Acts and then they were set free, do you remember where they went? Every time they go the same place. They go to God's people. Right? Peter and John, before the Sanhedrin in Acts 4, they're set free. They go back to the apostles. Paul in Philippi in Acts 16 goes back to the house of Lydia. Uh, Peter in Acts 12 goes to Mary in John Mark's house where the believers were gathered. Right? So we're freed from pr- prison to join God's people. That's one way to put it. And Jesus put it another way earlier in this chapter, right? I am the way to the Father. Remember he said that last week when we considered that? Jesus Jesus is the one who gets us to the Father. The Father is the destination. So whatever you ask in my name, uh, it doesn't mean, great, we get to get whatever we want now. No, the point is, in my name, right? Jesus has set us free. We're in him. So whatever is uh, good for our soul, whatever we think, uh, whatever is in the character of Jesus himself, Right? That's, that's the kind of prayer Jesus is going to answer. Uh, and again, consider it, just think of um, just a small interaction of a parent with a small child, right? Where the kid's kind of going all over the place in the room, and the parent knows the kid has to go and do that. So, so the parent just kind of g- gently takes the child, turns him this way, and gets him in the right direction, and he goes, right? That little interaction is a microcosm of our salvation. Right? Because we're banging all over the place in the world, doing all the wrong things, hitting our heads on the coffee table. And, and Jesus just takes us in hand and then puts us in the right direction and sends us there and we go. And he sends us to the Father. And he sends us to do works along the way. That's what Jesus is saying here. Hey, I've saved you. You're going to go do this and go to the Father. That's what's best for you. That's what's going on here. So uh, we think when we're banging all around the room in our, in our lives, we think that, that health and financial security would be good for us. And so we pray for those things. But sometimes the Father knows better. And he knows that uh, whatever is in Jesus' name is what we'll need. And so Jesus uh, calls us to pray. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. There is a call here to pray for more than we tend to pray for. But not in a worldly sense, not for more income or more influence or whatever it is. Uh, to pray for more spiritual growth, uh, a, a close, more closeness to the Father, more, more works that we can do in his name for his glory. And so we are called to gather all those jars of oil like the widow does. And the more we gather, the more we, we pray, the more Jesus answers in that faithful sense of the prayer. So, and Jesus says that. He says, that the Father may be glorified. Right? Middle of verse 13. The point is to glorify the Father in what we want. Will it really glorify God if you ask for a million dollars just because you want to be financially secure? You tend to think so, but probably not. 
right? That, that's just setting you up. What's that? And, and maybe when you get that, you're not going to actually do much for the Lord. And maybe the Lord knows that. You're just getting it for yourself, right? So uh, we're doing what we're doing. We're asking what we're asking all for the Father. So that's the first point. If you believe in me, Jesus says, you're going to do greater works than me and ask anything along that direction, along that, along that route of pursuing the Father's glory, and I'll give it to you. Well, then he, sends, he speaks of the spirit of truth. Uh, verse 16, I'll pray the Father. He'll give you another helper or comforter, depending on the translation there, and he'll abide with you forever. So, and again, here's the James point, right? If you have faith, but you don't have works, what kind of good is that faith? We need to have a living faith that does things, and living and active faith. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Verse 12, if you believe in me. Verse 15, if you love me. right? Trust tends to uh, translate into love, if you've ever considered that. If, if we really trust Jesus to take our sins away, that's it's the core of belief, right? If we have that trust, that's going to move us to love Jesus because we realize what he's done for us and we trust him to, to do it. So we love him. Keep my commandments. Verse 15. Uh, yeah, I, I skipped over verse 15. Let's mention that before the Spirit here. Uh, if you love me, keep my commandments. Uh, there's something really fascinating there again. And John, the Gospels do this all the time. They're always indirectly asserting the divinity of Jesus, right? Notice that phrase. Jesus is saying, keep my commandments. That's a bit shocking to the Old Testament mind, right? The only commandments that we keep are God's commandments. And Jesus says, keep my commandments. He's indirectly asserting he's God right there. Keep my commandments. It's an important thing to keep your, your eyes, your mind wide open all the time. When you're reading the Bible, when you're watching the news, uh, it's, it's important to watch out when indirect assertions are being made. Right? Jesus is doing it in a positive sense here. He's making an indirect assertion. I'm God. Keep my commandments. But you go out in the world and just make sure you keep your eyes open because bad actors will also make indirect assertions. You know, I, I think we saw it in the presidential debate with our moderator who says to one of the candidates, will you condemn white supremacy? Right? Which is an assumption that he hasn't and that he won't. Right? There, there's all kinds of indirect assertions made in election seasons too. So watch out for that. Sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes it's something you've got to watch out for. Well, Jesus has said, keep my commandments. And we'll come back to that in the next week or two, how Jesus uh, calls us to keep his commandments. But he says that one way that we're going to be able to do that, to keep his commandments, is with the helper, the comforter, who is not just sent from heaven uh, to waft over the earth like a mist that you have to try to catch or keep up with. No, he's given to you. He's assigned to you. He will dwell with you, end of verse 17. And he will be in you. That, that's key, right? That's why I had us read from Acts 2 at the beginning. This, the, the tongues of fire. It's a weird way to think of it. And it's a weird thing to imagine happening. But this really happens. right? The tongues of fire are divided. They come in on the apostles and they rest upon them. Or they dwell upon them, the text says. right? How does a tongue of fire rest on you? We, that, that's usually a bad thing. 
<laughs> right? But the, the Holy Spirit is a fire who, who burns in a good way. It doesn't burn us up and hurt us, but it helps us. And that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit is a He. Notice at the end of verse 17, He dwells with you. Uh, that's important, right? The Spirit is not just a, a power or an influence. The Spirit's the third person of the Trinity. The Spirit of truth uh, the spirit of truth is how Jesus describes him most specifically in this passage. That's something to keep in mind. The, he, the Spirit's whole job, what he does uh, with us and for us, is all related to the truth. Right? He reminds us of the truth. He applies the truth to our lives. He guides us into the truth. He convicts us by the truth. Uh, all kinds of, of truth idea. And that's, that's important to remember because you can only have real help or real comfort if you're living and acting according to the truth, right? And that's what the Spirit does. He dwells with us. Dwells with us. He will be, uh, the metaphor here that I like is like a seed that dwells in a garden, right? You plant the seed in the garden. That seed is dwelling in the dirt, right? And the, the Spirit in us is the same kind of relationship. It stays in us. And it cultivates and it grows and it does things there that we can't really see because it's under the ground. But then it grows and then there's fruit and there's a flower, right? That's what's happening. The Spirit stays in us. And so we bear the fruit of the Spirit. That's the idea. The Spirit will be with us, uh, will be in us. Uh, so there's a, there's a closeness there. Well, uh, we, we should observe the Spirit's work in our life. Over time, that's something to keep in mind. Uh, we're um, not of the charismatic variety, right? By which we means we mean uh, we don't want to be led by feelings of the spirit, or worse, we don't want to chase them. We don't want to want to chase these feelings that make us think that the spirit is there. But on the other end of the spectrum, a, a total lack of concern is a bad idea too, right? We 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 want to uh, be aware that the spirit is at work in our life over time. So uh, be, in, uh, be, be watchful of that. So uh, Jesus says, second, uh, he's going to send the comforter, the helper, the spirit. And last, Jesus says, I will come to you, verses 18 to 20. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, we often uh, perhaps feel like orphans in a spiritual sense. Right? Where are, we speak of this sometimes, uh, fatherlessness, spiritual fatherlessness. Where are our spiritual fathers in the faith on earth? Giants, models that we can look to to follow. They're few and they're far between. It's true. Paul says this to the Corinthians even. He says, you've got a lot of teachers, but you don't have many fathers. People that you can look to and imitate. And that's true. Sometimes it feels like we are uh, spiritual orphans. But Jesus says, no, I will come in a little while. And that little while, that kind of implies after the resurrection. We're not really sure what he's talking about here when he says, I will come again. Does he mean just in a few days after the resurrection, I'll be right back with you? Or is he talking about the last day? And it could be both here. But Jesus says, I will come to you, uh, and the world will not see me, but you will because I live, you will also live. We will live with Jesus, sustained by him. Because of that, we're going to persevere and we'll be raised at the last day. 
So Jesus is giving a huge comprehensive promise here that encompasses everything from the next couple of days for the disciples to the end of their lives to the very last day of resurrection. It really encompasses all of that, all by just saying, I will come to you, I will not leave you orphans. It's a wonderful promise given in such a few number of words. It's astounding. So uh, Jesus uh, there says, I will come to you. At the end of verse 20, I found something fascinating here. If you compare verse 20 uh, with verse 11 of the same text, I think you find a section kind of break because it's the same kind of verse, right? Verse 11, I am in the Father, the Father is in me. And then verse 20 here, we see, I am in the Father, my Father, and you in me, and I in you. It's almost the same, but it's different, right? It, it, it's it's kind of like a, a children's chorus or some curriculum, like, like uh, our kids, we use Saxon math for a while. And you have this kind of pattern to the curriculum where it's repeat. You do this, and then you do it again the next day, and then you do it again the next day. And then the third day, oh, they add a little something. Oh, and then there's something new to learn, but you're repeating all along. That's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's saying the same thing over and over, but then he's adding something new, right? The same thing that he says is, I am in the Father. The Father is in me. But then in verse 20 here, he adds, and you in me, and I in you. Ah, so now we know not only that Jesus is one with the Father, now we know that the, pro- the plan is that we be one with Jesus. Oh, we're, so we're brought into this. This isn't just theology class where we're learning Trinity. Now this is, I'm one with the Father. I'm one with Jesus. So Jesus He's kind of repeating here, making sure the disciples are getting the main things. But he's also adding bit by bit to what they know. Uh, So uh, something else that um, uh, Ryle points out in verse 20 that I'll close with. Jesus says, at that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. And again, we don't know what that day is exactly. Does that mean the very last day? Or does that mean that day when I'm with you again? in a few days. And it's, it's kind of both, right? Because we sort of know already mentally what it means for Jesus to be in the Father and for us to be in Jesus. We, we can kind of understand that, but not really, not fully, right? And for sure, we'll know more what that means when we see Jesus face to face at the last day. So again, Jesus is, is describing in shortened uh, version uh, the whole rest of history in our relationship to him from the next few days until the very last day, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to come back and be with you. I'll give you your, the spirit uh, and you'll know. You'll know me. You'll come to know me more. Comforting words spoken about the future. Uh, in, a, in a sense, right, it's not as martial as Churchill was. We shall, you shall, we shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. Not as martial. And yet, many of the deeds that we are called to do are deeds done uh, of, of compassion for others, perhaps also of speaking uh, in the name of Jesus to a hostile world. Uh, we are going to do things, uh, pray things, uh, be helped in our doing by the Spirit, and Jesus will be with us all along. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us uh, words of comfort 
uh, words about us and for, uh, for our good and about our future. Lord, you are our creator and our redeemer. And so you have every right to define uh, the course of our lives, uh, to set the events of our days. And we praise you, Lord, because we know that everything that you do works together for good for those who love you. So help us to trust you, Lord, as we consider this, uh, as we uh, remember once again that you are the Lord of our lives. That can be a scary thing, Lord, but you have given us your word to show that you mean this all for our good. So help us by your spirit. Give us uh, strength. Give us grace uh, to trust you, to love you, to keep your commandments, and to do greater works, uh, more works even than we see that have been done in Scripture. Help us, Lord, in this great task that you've given to us. We pray in the name of Jesus, the ever-living word, and we pray as you taught us to pray as we say. Just a few verses of exhortation from Isaiah chapter 25. Uh, this morning. Hear God's word. And in this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of well-refined wines on the lees. And he will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all the nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all the rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. And it will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. The body of Christ broken for you. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.